Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Got a bunch of stuff to talk about, so I'm going to just jump right into it. Crix just teased a picture of a brand new Game Boy Advance EverDrive that's the same size as a normal Game Boy Advance cart. So if you're watching on video as opposed to listening, you can see the picture of the Game Boy Advance SP with the new EverDrive in it that's not sticking out at all. Uh, and alternatively, here's my original Woozle prototype with the current Game Boy Advance EverDrive in here that sticks out a little bit over the top. So while this is really just an aesthetic choice, I love it. <laughs> I know it's it's weird, especially for a nerd like me who cares more about performance and all the technical stuff. I just think it's really neat to have it fit in flush just like an original. Now, there's no functionality difference, so it's not like uh, there's new features or anything like that. So if you already own one, I think the majority of us would probably just keep it. Um, and, you know, the bonus, too, is I'm assuming, I don't know this, but I'm assuming that as these new ones come out, the older ones will probably drop in price a tiny bit just to clear stock out. So even if you don't need to upgrade to this newer one, if you were looking to purchase an EverDrive for the Game Boy, or Game Boy Advance, um, maybe this is the time to look at it because maybe there will be price drops. Once again, I didn't hear anything about that. I'm just kind of speculating because that's how it usually goes. And for anybody unaware of how the Game Boy uh, and Game Boy Advance EverDrives work, the limitation is physical. So while technically you could have a cart that works on both the Game Boy and the Game Boy Advance, it would need to be some kind of physical switch or physical difference inside that would probably raise the cost higher than just buying two EverDrives. So this is not a Crick's choice. This is not him trying to force you to buy two different carts. It really is a physical limitation, and unless somebody comes up with a very creative way to solve it for the foreseeable future, you're going to have to buy two. One for Game Boy Color and original Game Boy, and then another for the Game Boy Advance. Um, and also, I believe the Game Boy Color uh, ones look and are the same size as a Game Boy Color cart. So, uh, you know, there's certainly no physical space issues with that one. But as always, I'm a you know, giant fan of Crix's work. Um, depending on you know, depending on what a million features, I'll probably pick this up just to review and check it out. But I'm always loving to see new products from Crix. And, uh, you know, this was, believe it or not, one of the most requested features is having it look just like the original. So thanks very much to Crix for continuing to put some awesome work into this stuff. And once I get it, I'll try my best to do at least a mini review. Mobius Strip Tech is now selling Sega Triple Bypass boards that have been completely customized for the Sega Nomad. Um, for anybody unfamiliar with the project, the Sega Triple Bypass was something that was originally designed to bypass the audio, video, and DIN of the original Genesis. Uh, now, the third bypass, I guess, is for the headphone jack, so technically it's still a triple bypass on the Nomad, as you get upgraded audio through the DIN and through the headphone jack. Uh, and I guess the Sega Triple Bypass is really just a double bypass on the Genesis 2 and 3, but 
whatever the name still sounds better um the triple bypass for the nomad is pretty awesome there are some caveats to it that are not the result of mobius it's just kind of the the way sega products work um but first the in order for it to fit you have to remove the flap door for the cartridge slot which you know some people might be annoyed by that i personally leave my rom carts plugged in all the time so it's not an issue for me i don't have to worry about dust um and it is compatible with both stock and aftermarket screens. However, when you're purchasing this, you have to select one or the other. Um, I believe it's connectors or something that's different. So you can't have one kit for the original screen and then upgrade to the other. You'd have to change out at least one part. Um, contact Mobius through a store if, if that's your current situation, installing it in original and eventually getting an upgrade. I'm sure he has a solution for that as well. Uh, and overall, it improves the video and audio quality of the Nomad, and it's pretty impressive. Um, it also improves the video out so the only issue with this is much like the original genesis one on my test unit here which you know this one's uh this test unit goes through my shop so it gets beaten up pretty much i'm plugging it in all the time to different devices but i did see what i believe voltar identified as ram noise on the output just like a genesis one so while there isn't jail bars after doing the bypass um you do still get a little bit of interference but you still get the incredibly sharp and perfect colors uh, as well as just overall sharpness that you would get when using any of the Sega Triple Bypass boards. So I, I really think for enthusiasts, it's a good solution. Um, if you have an RGB screen like the LCD driver, that does seem to, even though it's a small screen and there's some shimmering, I think I did notice a color difference versus just tapping into the regular output. And it is safe for dual output, meaning it is totally safe to use either the composite or RGB output from the DIN and have the original screen on. That's uh, an inherent feature of the chip that's used to drive the video circuit, the THS7374. So uh, overall, I mean, I I'm really impressed with it. I've personally been using this for testing and for video footage ever since I got mine done. Jose did mine a few weeks ago, and I've just found it to be the handiest thing on the planet. Not only do I enjoy sitting down with a Nomad when I get some time to kill, no more plugging in my Genesis and wheeling a card over, which is fine for long ses sessions, but I just, you know... Five minutes before I get run out the door, I just want to play a game of Mortal Kombat or something. I've just been grabbing this thing. Um, even uh, Sega CD support is even available with the Mega SD. So, you know, occasionally I'll play some Mortal Kombat CD or something. Um, and it's fun for that, but also just getting footage um, and being able to use it in a test setup where there's no wires. I just have my battery pack with some Eta loops in here. Uh, it's just been incredible. So if you're a tester of things, um, this it's good just for that by itself. If you're a gamer, like majority of people that would be buying these, it's still a good upgrade. So uh, I'm by no means am I trying to shill any products. I'm just very excited that um, I have a, a handheld Genesis that performs as good as like a well-modded Genesis 2, I would say. Um, so overall, it's pretty awesome. The other things that we tried doing is uh, restored Master System support, which is a mod that's required that always works perfect so that's fine as well and just because sometimes we like being silly we tried restoring 32x support which means you would get the genesis video on the nomad and out of the 32x you would only get 32x video which i think would be great for testing purposes uh, but that didn't work 32x won't boot now i am notorious for having 32x 
consoles that are problematic, so it might just be the one that I'm using, but I'll update on everybody else on that. So congrats to Mobius for putting together a great fork of the Triple Bypass project. Um, and anybody with Nomads, at the very least, take a look and see if it's something that you think you'd be interested in. He offers just the kits or install services as well, so depending on where you're located or if you already have a trusted modder, there's solutions for everybody. Uh, and while I don't think everybody with a Nomad would probably get it, it's worth at least considering. So thanks to Mobius. Mike Chi, the creator of the RetroTINK line of products, just released two new devices under the RetroTINK line. The first is a pro version of the RetroTINK 2X, and the second is a basic RGB SCART to HDMI converter. Um, Ray Commend and I both did pretty detailed videos on this that tell you everything you need to know. I believe Scarlet Sprikes did a, a video as well, so please definitely check his out. And I'll give you the quick rundown for now, but I'm very excited about all of these for a bunch of different reasons. So first of all, the original RetroTank 2X has now been lowered in price. So anybody that's just looking for a solution to get their original unmodded consoles on a TV now has a cheaper way to do it. Uh, that's probably the best solution for composite and S-video, and depending on your setup, maybe component video as well. And uh, the Pro offers a few new features. It offers scan lines, which is going to be a pretty big deal for some people, as well as a full-size HDMI port, um, and a few other features that Ray did a good job uh, highlighting in his review. One thing I did want to just remind everybody about, because uh, if you take a look at a picture of it, it looks like there's no composite video port on here, but the green input doubles as composite video. And since the RetroTINK line of products doesn't support multiple devices being plugged in at once, you're not losing anything by doing this. And it's kind of neat to have, you know, all inputs in one end except for S-Video and then, you know, HDMI out. It does kind of fit a little bit better. Uh, but there's some new filtering options, uh, new buttons on the side. The only other thing I'd like to add is when I first started testing this, I texted Mike and said, hey man, my, my fat fingers can't get to the switches on the side. You know, can you make them longer for the next run? And he reminded me that these are options that you probably wouldn't want to be switching back and forth a lot. Things like pass-through mode and the filter for, you know, between devices. So I kind of laughed at myself on that one and, uh, and realized, yeah, he was totally right. You know, it's, you could still get to it. You just gotta, you know, my fingers are kind of fat, so I gotta push in a little bit, but it still works fine. So, um, that's the only thing I'd like to add on that other than the reviews. The other is the Retro Tink 2X SCART device. Uh, and this is just the best and easiest way if you just want a solution that works. No messing around, no no setting up anything, just plug it in and go. Um, and even though I'm predominantly an OSSC user when I play on flat screens, there was a few situations already just in the weeks that I had this where I didn't have a custom profile for a specific device. I couldn't dial in the perfect uh, phase for something, so I was getting you know not the perfect signal, and I just plugged this thing in and it was perfect. Uh, you know, it's still 480p versus up to 1080p, but it looked fine. So I think this is a device, definitely a device for beginners, but also intermediate to experts could really take advantage of it for compatibility and simplicity reasons. Also, uh, I've been working on, well, mostly Tian Fang has been working on a SCART coupler. Please excuse the tape. This is just a prototype to demonstrate what to do. But it works great with this as well, because anybody with the G-SCART setup, now it's one less wire. You could just plug this into the second output, uh, and it, it just... Everything about this screams simplicity. Um, the button on the back toggles between regular, filtered, and scanline mode, so you're pretty much covered for classic 2D and 3D games with or without scanlines, depending on how you like it. So 
Overall, I really think Mike has the beginner to intermediate market covered right now with all of these products. Um, if you're starting out, definitely just kind of look at whatever your, your consoles are. And uh, well, I guess if you're here, you're probably not already starting out. But if your friends are starting out, take a look at their consoles. And if it's something like, you know, they have uh, an Atari 2600, uh, an old NES, and then something else, you know, maybe this is the perfect starter device, the RetroTINK 2X or even the Pro. Or if you already have a full RGB setup and you're looking to digitize for the first time, grab it. And of course, streamers. Every streamer I know has one of these as their backup, regardless of, or one of the RetroTINK 2Xs, regardless of the rest of their setup. I know people with some pretty insane setups that always keep that, and probably some Rad 2X cables in their drawer as well, just for, uh, you know, in case something happens, here's your plug-and-play solution. So, overall, I'm very impressed with the full line of products. Um, for the first time ever in retro gaming, there's just a choice for everybody. Um, you know, it, it, every time I post a video about a new product, there's always people that came up with an idea that, oh, I wish it had this, I wish it had that. Um, for as far as I know, all, all of the things that people requested would just add tremendous amount of cost to the point where having these two available is probably the best bet. So for now, I think we should all just be very happy at all the wonderful choices that we have today, plus the OSSC Pro coming in the future. I'm not sure how far off that is, but you know, it's probably farther away than it is sooner, but whatever. I'm still just excited for all of this awesomeness. And uh, thanks to everybody who contributes to building stuff for the retro gaming scene, testing it, making these videos. And please check out both my video and Ray's uh, to have everything you need to know about these, as well as I have my original retro tank video up as well. And of course, the interview with Mike, if you'd like to get to know him a little better too. Great news for Sega Saturn fans. The upcoming optical drive emulator from SED is about to get ready to ship. So no pre-orders yet, no ordering yet. Uh, a batch came in that went to beta testers, but very soon this will be available for order. Um, and everything about this seems to be great news. Um, it's approximately going to be $89 which is a, an amazing price for something like this. Uh, and it supports both CCD image files as well as Q and ISO image files, which means compatibility is going to be really high. Um, and unfortunately, it does only support the Model 1 for now, but it should have Model 2 support um, either in a different model or a different cable in the future. I think it's really going to just be a cable difference, but I could be wrong about that. It's been a while since I popped open either of my Saturns and messed with any of the mod chips or anything like that. So overall, this is pretty exciting. Um, I'm a fan of the Saturn, but I've kind of been waiting for a, a good, reliable optical drive emulator to be released, one that you could actually purchase. Uh, and the Satiator, uh, as much as that seems pretty cool because it allows the original CD drive to still work, um, that's still no news on when you could order that. And that's been a project that's been ongoing for years now. So no telling when it'll actually be ready for purchase. So for me personally, the moment one of these things is available to buy, I will be picking one up uh, and doing as much testing as I can on it and really putting it through its paces. Um, one thing I'm kind of interested in as well is uh, how save files work. The Sega Saturn's battery dies very quickly, and with it die all of your save games. So I know a lot of people do RAM um, RAM chip swaps. I'm probably calling that the wrong name. I'm sorry. But uh, they basically upgrade the, the, the memory on the motherboard to be flash memory. So that way, when the battery pops out, you don't lose any of your saves. It stays there. So I think something like that might still be necessary with this device, but I'm certainly going to double check once it's installed and, and see if that's even an option. 
I doubt you'd be able to have the saves on the SD card, but I mean, we got some pretty impressive people in the retro gaming scene, so who knows? But as you could tell from my voice, I'm very excited. So as soon as I get one of these, uh, even if I don't have time for anything else, I'll definitely just post a quick video of how it works, talk about compatibility, and go from there. John Linneman just posted a new DF Retro video about one of my favorite games of all time, the original Mortal Kombat. Um, I loved the video, not just because I'm a Mortal Kombat fan. John really nailed this one. I mean, most of his videos are, are pretty freaking cool, but uh, this was just really entertaining to watch. It goes into a little bit of the history and some cool information about it, and then, of course, focuses on the different versions of the game that were available on different consoles over the years. And um, I don't want to spoil anything, but one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting was the advantages of the Sega CD version versus the Genesis version. Because when I was a kid, I was playing on a you know a very old dinky RF TV for most of it so I didn't really hear or see the differences because you probably couldn't in a setup like that um, and then as I revisited the Sega <coughs> excuse me the Sega CD as I started retro RGB and got older most of my Sega CD units were pretty beat up you know the access times are taking even longer than they did back in the day so I never really had a good experience with the game but now with the release of the Mega SD the Mr. Core uh, and even a future EverDrive that's going to have Sega CD support now we have a way to deal with that with a minimal amount of loading time so I, I had a few moments to play the game and I definitely noticed the differences that John pointed out however there's two things that I would love to see any of you amazing ROM hackers to do uh, first have the correct music play over the correct stage. That's kind of an odd choice for the Sega CD version. And although I'm by no means a software developer, I believe that's fairly easy to figure out one way or the other. Um, but the other one that might be more complicated is to try to have a way to disable Shang Tsung's transformations as every time he transforms into a different character, then it takes time to load the CD. Um, I posted about this on Twitter, and, and somebody replied uh, a pretty good idea that, once again, I don't know if this is possible, but have Shang Tsung only transform into the character you are and back because your character is already loaded. That might be another option, so you still get some of the game without the load time. So very cool to, to shout out to whoever posted that. Very sorry. I forgot who it was. Um, but overall, if anybody knows how to do these ROM hacks, I think it would be a pretty cool thing. Because while my favorite will always be the original, even though I have an original Mortal Kombat board, sometimes I just want to pick up my Nomad and play like I was talking about earlier. Uh, you know, I love the game so much, but living in a tiny apartment, every time I want to play it, I got to take the board off the shelf, set up my super gun, wheel one of my monitors over, plug it all in, grab one of my arcade sticks, and usually by the time that happens, I have a very minimal amount of time to actually enjoy the game. So I could definitely see myself playing the Sega CD version more often with just a few tweaks to make it a little bit more fun um, and a little bit closer to the original. But I guess I got pretty off topic there. Back to the point. John Linneman killed it with this video. I really enjoyed the heck out of it, and I really recommend that everybody give it a watch. So uh, thanks to John for keeping uh, doing these, and thanks in advance for any awesome Sega developers. that you know. Uh, there's a crew on the Sega 16 forum that always does some pretty incredible stuff. So anybody that has the time to work on a patch, I think we'd all really love it. Modern Vintage Gamer is back, schooling us all once again on programming and how things work. Um, he released a great video that went into detail about the Super Mario 64 code optimization that we talked about last week. 
and I really enjoyed his analysis of it. Once again, I'm not a programmer, so a lot of that stuff was a little over my head, but he was able to to talk about it in a way that even if you have zero programming knowledge, you could still follow along and get the point of everything. I think he's really good at that anyway in his videos, but um, if anybody wants to know more of an explanation as to what that whole code optimization thing was, I highly recommend checking it out, uh, both for knowledge and for entertainment value. And the short, short version of it all is they did... Nintendo did the best they could with the tools that they had at the time that they had them. So it's not like they made a mistake, but some pretty awesome you know, reverse engineering and hacking was done to still allow you to get a more optimized version now that will work on real hardware. So please check out his video, and uh, I've yet to give this a try. I've lent my N64 to a friend, so hopefully when I get it back, I'll be able to play it and see if I could feel a difference. Um, but the proof is certainly there that in certain scenes that drop below 30 frames per second, there is definitely a difference. Greg Collins is back again, saving our consoles one piece of plastic at a time. This time it's with Nest Top Loader Replacement Rear Panels. Um, so a while back, uh, I think last summer, maybe a little bit previous to that, Greg came up with a design that you could replace the output of your top loader, here's the picture right here, uh, with a mini DIN connector and still be able to have your AC adapter plugged in. But a lot of people commented that they wanted to use the SNES multi-out because uh, you know, I think most of it was, was more aesthetics. They wanted to keep it feeling like a Nintendo console and not like a, essentially a Genesis console or something. Um, and there are some logistics to that as well. If you already have a Super Nintendo, you could use the same cable and all that stuff. So this time is uh, the same thing. It allows for a no-cut mod of the rear panel that allows you to use a, a Nintendo multi-out. And it's shaped around a new board um, that uh, TP Retro Mods made that allowed you to get a really good connection. Um, I think it may have been based off DB Electronics' original design, but this is designed to fit better inside a Famicom, as well as has hard gold on the outside uh, for the ones that are pre-made, making it just a really solid and high-quality solution. Um, if you'd like to purchase this from laserbear.net, Greg's company, you can in a multitude of different colors. And I believe he's uh, allows the option to order the PCB as well. So it's just kind of a one-stop shop for getting a new multi-out. And if you have your own 3D printer, uh, you could print your own. Um, as with most of his designs, Greg puts all of his files up for people to use as well as sells them, which I just think is absolutely incredible. So in my personal opinion, if you don't own a 3D printer, um, support the original creator at laserbear.net and if you do um, enjoy making a very cool new design on behalf of Greg so thanks very much to him Smoke Monster just posted a safety-related article about the Atari Jaguar that involves adding a reverse polarity protection diode to prevent it from blowing out. Now, if you use an original Jaguar power supply or one that's fully compatible, uh, that doesn't matter at all, and, and this doesn't apply to you. However, what if you accidentally plug the wrong one in someday? Uh, if you do, you'll actually blow out a component on your Jaguar and it will require a, you know, a repair to it. So he and Electron Ash were able to figure out exactly what to do in order to prevent that from happening. Um, you use one diode for the power circuit on the motherboard. So essentially you just remove one wire from the board that's right next to the power connector and then solder the diode right in line with that. So diode into the board, the wire into the diode that used to go into the board. About as basic as it gets, really. Um, if you solder the diode in backwards, your console just won't power on, so unplug it immediately and flip it over. And after that, 
<coughs> you should have protection against using the wrong power supplies. Now, of course, you should never use the wrong power supplies, but if you do, you turn it on and you go, oh crap, that was the wrong one, at least you don't have to repair your Jaguar now. If you did have a Jag that was broken, you do need to replace the power regulator uh, and most likely the two capacitors near it as well as a resistor near it that probably blew out. You might even see a, uh, a burn mark on a resistor or smell burning at that point if you ever did that. So, um, you know, obviously it's way easier to just add this diode than try to repair a broken one. So anybody interested, Smoke's got um, links directly to the diodes that you could use, as well as isopropyl if you need it, because you're always going to want to make sure to clean up the board around it, especially if it was damaged and any of the capacitors exploded or anything like that. You'll really want to clean up all of that stuff so it doesn't corrode the motherboard. But I'm a, a fan of the Jaguar for the, you know, the one game that's awesome on it. Just being silly, of course. Um, and this is definitely something I'll do to mine when I, uh, you know, next time I open it up just for safety's sake. There's now a new interface called the Ultimate Joystick Interface version 2.0 that allows you to take older analog controllers and convert them to USB. That um, has eight analog and two digital inputs, which means things like old flight sticks can now be used uh, from their original DB15 port through USB. And that's pretty awesome because that's something I've started to notice over the years. And I'm sure people that are hardcore into retro computing deal with this every day. But I, I mostly am a, a console and arcade gamer and just dabble in computers. So the one thing I did notice, though, is a bunch of old joysticks use different connectors that mostly computers these days don't have. And while there are other interfaces available, uh, this one was really focusing more on compatibility specifically so you could use things like the old Sidewinder joysticks and stuff. So uh, you could check out more info on the back office show as well as the website and be able to download the full thing, um, instructions and everything else for people that want to use it. But anytime you could uh, revitalize old tech, I'm always happy. And seeing pictures of the Microsoft Sidewinder joystick definitely makes me smile because I vaguely remember playing Flight Simulator at a friend's house with one of those. <laughs> The analog DAC is now back open for pre-order, and people that had previously pre-ordered should now have their shipping this week, probably by the time you hear this. Also, Analog is releasing their Mega SG cartridge adapter soon, possibly this week or next week. So this is all great news for fans of Analog products. Um, a quick rundown on all of this stuff for anybody unfamiliar. The cartridge adapters are ways to play original cartridges from the Mark III, Game Gear, the Sega card, the SG-1000, and the SC-3000 all on the Mega SG. Um, you could do all of these now via the jailbreak on an SD card, but I'm one of those weird people that sometimes just likes using my cartridge for stuff like this. Um, so I think that's pretty cool for people with a big collection of cartridges that really want to play them via HDMI through a clean FPGA solution like the Mega SG. Now, the DAC is a digital-to-analog converter that sits between the console and your display that outputs analog audio and analog video on all analog formats, composite, S-video, component, and RGB. Um, the quality is extremely high, and to be perfectly honest, if, if you were buying this specifically for use with a Sega Genesis and an RGB monitor, you might actually save money 
buying the Mega SG and the DAC than you would buying a Genesis, installing a Sega Triple Bypass, getting an EverDrive, you know, assuming that you want to use your original carts or, or ROM carts on that. So it's a pretty great solution for that. Um, on the other side of things, if you're only using a Super Nintendo, a, a one-ship Super Nintendo is pretty much the same cost as the DAC, which is about 100 bucks after shipping, depending on where you live. If you're in Australia, you know, it might be 1000 it's being silly, but um, you know, in all seriousness, no, it's just something you need to take a step back and see if it's worthwhile for your setup. And for most people with both analog products and an RGB monitor or a consumer grade TV that they want to utilize, this is a really good product. Um, but you know, it's it's expensive and it's missing, at least in my personal opinion, it's missing something like digital audio output and the ability to have dual output. So once you plug this in, you no longer can use the HDMI output, meaning streamers don't have one single solution that'll work with both. That means if you want a game on a flat screen in stream, you'll still need to treat it like an original Genesis with some kind of scaler, the 2X SCART or an OSSC or something like that, and then have that go into your capture card. So while I, I'm a giant fan of the product, I do want to make sure to, to be honest about it and give a, a fair explanation because you know Analog's marketing team is incredible and they're able to just get people to read off of their marketing without even questioning it. So it's uh, props to them for doing it, but that also means that you don't always get the whole story. Uh, you know, respect to them and everything, but it's still kind of my job to make sure that when I talk about things, people understand what it is they're really getting. So I think it's incredible. I think the quality is high, and I think there are many people that are going to utilize this. Uh, I just think that, once again, you need to take a step back and see what fits your solution the best. But uh, Analog was nice enough to send me one. I've been testing it ever since. Um, I, I haven't had a working 32X in a while. Mine either keep breaking or I never get working ones in the first place. Uh, I, I might just have bad 32X luck, but it's always been like this for me. So <laughs> possibly back even when I got one, you know, in a bargain bin, you know, in the late 90s or something. I don't know. But I would love to go back and test 32X support as well. And if there's any ROM hackers out there that are able to just put something like uh, white screen, 100% color bars, and a checkerboard pattern as a 32x ROM, that would really be a great deal for anybody doing a great deal of help for anybody doing testing with this, because then you'd be able to really check out the 32x um, to really calibrate it and and. It would help me do a better analysis, at least, of how we could improve the 32X and kind of iron out the last little bugs. I believe last week I talked about Kevtris finding a potential fix for some of the video noise, but I'd like to still keep digging into that. Because, you know, Virtua Racing 32X is my favorite version, and there's a few other games on the 32X that a lot of people tend to enjoy. So if we're all nerds that like tinkering anyway... Why not, right? So uh, anyway, if you'd like to pre-order all of these things, check out the Analog website right now for the DAC and for the cartridge adapters later in the week. Um, for me personally, I'm, I'm definitely getting the Game Gear cartridge adapter just because. And speaking of the 32X, Greg Collins has a second release this week. This is a 32X to Sega CDX mount. Um, now, this was actually originally designed and supposed to be released by Sega. They even had a Sega part number assigned to it, uh, but it was never released, so Greg based his work on that and has a 3D adapter that allows it to fit. Now, you can technically plug the 32X into a CDX without an adapter, but even with it plugged in all the way, it still has some wiggle room, 
And if you were to bounce the CDX or just even bump into the table, it might be enough to freeze your game or, you know, at the very least reset the system. And anybody watching on a video could see there's, you know, a lot of play in the back that really a lot of weight residing on this, which is never good for your cartridge port or the plastic. So Greg came up with a design that was based sort of on the original one that allows you, well, the original unreleased one, that is, uh, that allows you to slot the 32X it, or the, the riser into the 32X, got that on camera here for people watching, um, and create a device that has full protection on all sides. So then it slots right in and accomplishes two things. Uh, first, as it sits on the table, this is completely flush. So there really, if you're on a table, there is no wiggle room. It'll stay perfectly flush. But here's what I think is by far the coolest thing about this. Here is the CDX. And here's the drive door still being able to fully open, even though the 32X is plugged in. So even with the mount and even with the support, there's still enough play that allows the drive door to open. So I, I, I genuinely think that this is a must-have for anybody that wants to use the 32X with the CDX. Um, you know, you could do what I did for a while and you know, jam some cardboard in there or put a book under it every time you need to use a 32X CD game or something like that. But this really is something that, that's an excellent thing to have. I love that the door could open up all the way. Um, and just a reminder that if you cannot play the game Virtual Racing for Genesis or Master System games through the 32X. That's not a CDX issue. It has nothing to do with this 3D printed design. It's just something I want to remind everybody. Um, so for me personally, because I love the Sega consoles so much, I've been collecting them for years. My personal solution is to have this for all, all times I want to play original CDs or anything 32X or 32X CD related. I will be playing it on this. And then everything else, Master System included, uh, I will be playing through, at the moment, the Mega SD and my Genesis 1 that's been triple bypassed. Uh, so that's completely covered for me, covered all scenarios. I think I'll put an EverDrive X5 in this one because they're cheap. It plays every game uh, that this would support anyway. And uh, I just, uh, I don't know. As you can tell, I'm a giant fan of all of this stuff, and I think it's so cool we have a solution. So uh, as per pretty much normal, Greg is offering this 3D printed file for anybody to use who has a 3D printer. But please, as I stated before, if you don't have a 3D printer, consider supporting the original developer of this and buy a print directly from him. They're all very high quality, and uh, I just think all of this stuff is so awesome. So for a second time this week, thank you, Greg. All of uh, the CDX 32X fans owe you one. Here's a very interesting piece of news. A developer named Martin has been reverse engineering the Sony BVM input card BKM129X. So this card is uh, used to do RGB and component video input in a number of different BVMs. I think one of the 14-inch H-series as well as my 9-inch BVMs. Um, and, you know, they're a little bit expensive, but they're also becoming harder to find, as are all of these input cards. Uh, on top of all of this, unlike some of the JVC or, I believe, Ikigamis, these input cards have a lot of logic on them and are pretty hard to translate just straight up RGB to getting them into the BVM. So uh, Martin's been working on reverse engineering, I believe with a logic analyzer, but I'm not quite smart enough to understand the full process. 
Um, and at the moment, the project is still kind of uh, in beta. The picture that people are seeing who are watching on video here um, is a mock-up. But if anybody out there wants to try this project and wire it up directly, um, you, all you need is an Arduino Nano version 3, and the code is already up on his GitHub. And this is pretty awesome to me because this is the first step into getting more input cards available to more people. And of course, anybody who's a fan of BVMs, I'm sure the first thing that popped into their mind was, well, what about the BKM68X? And for anybody that's out of the loop for that, and I, you know, I imagine most are because this is a weird niche case, but the A-series BVMs were some of the last to ever get manufactured. And you could, you know, up until a point, you could still find them pretty easily. Now, anything that's labeled BVM on it goes for insane amounts on eBay because of scalpers. But um, if you're still able to find one of those, it's plausible that it might have low hours because simply it was the last to be manufactured. I personally owned one for a while that had 3,000 hours on it, but no RGB input card. And the BKM68X is the only input card compatible with A-series BVMs. I sold it to somebody who uh, who luckily did exactly what I hoped. Uh, they took the tube out and swapped it with a D-series. <clears throat> so now their D-series has a essentially brand new tube, and their A-series, which still had a composite video and S-video input card in it, has you know an older worn tube, but it's just for composite and S-video, so awesome. Unfortunately, that I was told was like a weekend-long project for them, so it would be just much easier if we had a card to replace it. However, the BKM68X is far, far more complicated than the 129X. So I certainly don't want to be bothering Martin to immediately start on that. But if there's enough developers that understand what he's doing and are able to help, maybe we could team up and create a replacement for the 68X, which I think would make a lot of A-Series BVM owners pretty happy. Heck, even if you're already lucky enough to own an A-Series and a 68X, maybe buy this one that has a second input. So that way, you know, you could have dual inputs, one for component, one for RGB or something like that. Um, and, you know, all BVMs are starting to get hard to find, both because it's technology that's not made anymore, and most of them have gone to the recycling centers without knowing that they could be used for other things. And, of course, also because, un unfortunately, you know, anytime a hobby gets popular, scalpers swoop in and try to take over. And that really is what happened on eBay with almost all of these. There's still some good sellers out there. I just bought a monitor. I think I already talked about it, but I would just like to repeat because I want to throw some positivity in this morning about scalpers. I just bought a monitor off of eBay where the seller was amazingly responsive and that thing was packed perfect. It was packed so well that even though it said this side up in giant letters all around it, the delivery guy put it on the wrong side and I still was able to pick it up and it arrived perfectly. No damage whatsoever. Uh, unfortunately, it even went directly to my apartment in Manhattan, which Pat had warned us about. Like, don't ever ship anything into New York City because that's where all the damage happens. So it even survived that craziness. Um, and it was fairly priced too. It by no means was cheap, but it was not a scalp at all. It was a very fair price that I appreciated. So, um, you know, there are still good stories and good people out there. You just have to go hunting for them now. So, I guess the moral of this very long off-topic story is thank you so much to Martin for, for working on the 129X uh, and for allowing us a door for people to, to at least try to start the process on other cards and maybe someday eventually get to the 68X. Um, also, you know, thanks to everybody out there who gets these RGB monitors uh, out to people for fair prices. Beware of scalpers. And I will personally be buying one of these because... 
I have two nine-inch BVMs uh, that I use for testing. I bought one as a, a spare that kind of, I think that one started smoking the other day, but if I'm able to repair that, I'll be able to have an input in each, and at the very least, I'll be able to test this one and put it through its paces. So thank you very much, Martin. Much appreciated. Well, that's it for this week. As usual, thanks so much to everybody that supports, because not only are you helping these videos, you're also helping all of the behind-the-scenes research and a lot of other cool stuff that goes on, and a lot of cool stuff that's coming up that I will be able to tell you about soon. But for the next week, I at least have one other higher production video coming out. I hope every time I've said I'm ready with this one, something happens and I I, I mess it up, but I hope. Uh, and I'm trying to aim for a, a more regular schedule. Um, you know, I tend to do to release videos whenever I have time, but both for algorithm and just for watching reasons, I think people prefer that it's more of a set schedule. So I'll try to have one non-podcast video up a week, uh, you know, for in, in different varying levels of complexity. So some might just be a, a very basic review, just kind of talking to the camera like this one with my usual lag testing, of course, and all that. And I still really enjoy working on the high production stuff, but each one of those, each 10 minute video videos, uh, 10 minute video for me. That's kind of the fancier ones is like a full week's worth of work. Cause don't forget, I'm not nearly as talented as some of the amazing people in this scene. So <laughs> it's a little harder for me to get them done, but, uh, I just wanted to assure everybody I'm still really hard at work as as many different things as I can. I'm still catching up from being sick for two months. That sucked. That never really happened to me before. So, um, I'm definitely not going anywhere. I'm definitely going to stick to a better schedule, hopefully a healthier schedule too. And I want to keep getting good content out there as well as announce some really cool stuff in the next coming months. At least I think it's cool. Hopefully you all will too. But as always, thank you so much for everybody that supports, that participates, uh, that re participates respectfully in the comments. I love criticism just when it doesn't start with screw you, you fat piece of crap. <laughs> so you know, that's funny too sometimes, but make a good point. Don't just yell at me, please. So thanks very much and I'll see you next week.